Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. I want to talk to you today about true speech to build up the body. We are laboring for one thing in this series entitled United as we study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it is essentially this. To live as a people united in the gospel of Jesus Christ because unity fuels God's people for mission that he gives them to. And I really want us to consider today how is it that we, Life Point, live as united, as, as God's people in this mission. I mean, we've talked about this week in and week out through this. And today, as we've discussed many important aspects of our unity, today's topic may be the most evident aspect to cultivate a considerable real growth among the church body. A considerable, real, evident growth among the church body. And that's true speech. So that all may be built up. So that the body itself will be built up. And so, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul teaches on the distinctive gift of speech that builds the body. What I'm laboring for today is not just to dissect every intricacy of this chapter. That would be a month or two of sermons in and of itself. But I'm aiming for a larger purpose that I believe Paul has utilized and aimed for himself in placing this chapter where he put it, for the reason he put it, and with the topic and theme with which he addresses in this chapter. Now I'm going to do this sermon today. I'm going to present it in three parts. The first part will be just simply a definition. I want to put us all on the same page so we all know what we're talking about. The second part of the sermon is I'm going to offer you four benefits of true speech. And I'll explain that in just a moment. And then the third part of the sermon will conclude with one defining principle to help us apply true speech in the church. Okay, so let's dive in. Here's the big idea I want you to walk away with today, and it's simply this, that Jesus Christ centers all true speech in the church for the growth and maturity of the whole body. That the center of the, of the true speech of the church, the conversation of the church, is Jesus Christ. And when he centers our conversation, it's for the growth and the maturity of the whole body. And so I want to begin today with a definition of true Speech. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. I'll read the first three verses for us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Stop there with me for a moment and let's talk for just a moment about a definition of what prophecy is all about. Prophecy is true speech for the body because it is truth speech. Prophecy in the New Testament is true speech for the body because it is truth speech. Truth speech, or excuse me, true speech, and all that I mean by that title today is simply this. 
that they are words spoken among the church, especially in our gatherings. Now, I don't only mean Sunday morning, but I mean uh, our Sunday morning gatherings. I mean our nights of worship. I mean our community groups. Anytime that the body is gathering as the body, I'm talking about that when I use the term gatherings today. And true speech should shape our language, it should determine our vocabulary, and it should set forth the trajectory of our ongoing conversation among the congregation. Why? Because we are a people centered on the person of Jesus Christ who is the Word of God come in the flesh. And it is that Word, Jesus Christ Himself, that centers all that we do. And so he shapes our language, he shapes our vocabulary, and he shapes our ongoing conversation. He is truth personified. Surely then he should be truth conversed among us. True speech should continually permeate and penetrate the congregation to strengthen the spiritual growth and maturity through Jesus' abiding presence in the life of the congregation. And so New Testament prophecy is simply this, friends, speaking God's gospel truths to build up the body of Christ. New Testament prophecy is speaking God's gospel truths to build the body of Christ. Listen, I need to uh, deconstruct some misperceptions and perversions of what prophecy has become too often in the modern day. Prophecy is not a mysterious activity of decoding secret hidden messages. It's absolutely not that. And there have been many perversions of prophecy. Some will dismiss prophecy for their own life because they haven't drunk enough Ovaltine to get the secret decoder ring. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, at some point at Christmas time this year, you're going to be watching the movie and go, Oh, Ovaltine! You know? Because we feel like we've got to have some kind of special impartation or gift in order to decipher what is. Or, in other words, we've got to have a mind like Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind where we see all of these images flashing on the wall. And we go, oh, and in all the chaos and confusion, the clarity just comes out to us and we go, oh, I've received the message. You know, that's not prophecy in the scriptural New Testament understanding. But that's the way we perceive it because that's the way it's purported too often. And the only other contrast to this is by those who claim to be the secret decoder themselves. In other words, anytime you hear someone today say, I have a word from God, you go ahead and get in the starting blocks because you're probably about to have to run from them. And you surely shouldn't sit under their teaching. I'm not against people saying, I have a word from God. But that word from God better be the reading of his word or the explicit explanation of his word. And we hold to that because we hold that the canon of Holy Scripture is closed. That the full and final revelation is in Jesus Christ. And all that we need for life, for faith, and for practice is here. We just need to understand it. 
And those who continue to say, thus saith the Lord, in the same spirit of speaking holy writ and expecting you to follow their holy spit are false prophets. And you need to get away from them and get out from under them if you're sitting and listening to their teaching. You see, prophecy is not about discovering a secret message through complicated algorithms to decipher hidden code from select letters on discrete pages. It's not about all of that. New Testament prophecy plays a primary role in the Christian's life and in the life of the church. New Testament prophecy is it's distinct from the role of Old Testament prophets. Old Testament prophets were God's divine mouthpiece to communicate to his people. And they foretold, that's F-O-R-E-T-O-L-D, they foretold future events and what God wanted to say through his people. And so the words of the Old Testament prophet actually were, thus saith the Lord, because when they spoke, they were speaking God's sacred words that were delivered through His instrument to His people for His purposes. They didn't have their Bible on every little gadget, more accessible and more detailed and defined than ever before in history like we do today. It was an oral tradition passed down through the oral Handing over. And God's prophets of the Old Testament were his mouthpieces, his instruments through which he communicated his holy word. New Testament prophecy, on the other hand, serves a new distinct purpose purpose from Old Testament prophets. You see, New Testament prophecy is not a foretelling. It is a forth-telling, F-O-R-T-H, telling And it is telling of God's truths from the Bible through the reality, through the understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and it may arise in a number of ways and, and it will come from many different people and different kinds of people. But it will always agree with, it will always point to, and it will always aim at making God's word crystal clear. So you can understand and put your faith in Jesus. And it's also always given to strengthen, to encourage, and to build up the church for faith and for obedience. That's what Paul's telling us. Prophecy in love builds up the whole body and the whole person with the whole counsel of God's word. That's what New Testament prophecy is all about. And I remind us today that Jesus Christ centers all true speech in the church for the growth and maturity of the body. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so critical for us. It is essential for our lifeblood. What Paul goes on to do after he sets forth prophecy and our understanding of it and the high value of it is he provides four benefits that it gives for the church that basically establish it as primary in the true speech of the church. And I want to share these with you. Let's look second of all at four benefits. Benefit number one, let me give it to you and then I'm going to read just a couple of verses from the next few. Benefit number one is this, prophecy clarifies God's message for the whole body. 
prophecy clarifies God's message for the whole body. Let's keep reading in verses 4 and 5. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Then skip down to verse 9 with me. So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. And then to verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Now, for the sake of time, I'm trying to give you uh, what I would call the, the verses that really provide for us the shape of what Paul is saying here overall. But here's what he's saying in this first benefit that prophecy clarifies God's message for the whole, and tongues serve a lesser role. Now, let me give just a very brief description and definition of tongues. The tongues that he is speaking of here is not identical to the way the word tongues is used throughout the New Testament. His reference here is to an ecstatic utterance, or also known as an unintelligible language. In other words, it's a language, as he says there, there are many different languages, but it's not a language that is common to any particular people group. It's not been given definition. Like, I can listen to almost any other language, sometimes even the English language, and go, that doesn't make any sense to me, right? But that's because I come from a superior language of redneck vernacular. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about English or Spanish or French or Arabic or Hebrew or Greek or any of those others. He's talking about an unintelligible language that's not been identified and defined in its terminology. And it's a language that is enabled by supernatural ability. That's what tongues is all about. And in this ecstatic utterance, a person speaks to God, not to man. And in this ecstatic utterance, it is done so that it might build up self and not to build up the whole body. That's what Paul is teaching here. And you cannot edify the whole body without an interpretation because it's only understood by God. That's what he's saying. In other words, you can utter all of these words, but no one's going to understand what you're saying. And if you do, you're only going to create confusion in the public worship gathering, which uh, takes worship and glory away from God. And so here's what's clear for us to say today. Paul is not saying that tongues have no purpose. Paul is not saying that tongues have no presence in the church. But he is is saying that they present an unclear message that confuses and does not serve the purpose of the public gathering of God's people. That's what he's teaching. Now, we'll come back to this. The whole chapter deals with it. So if I've missed something so far and you want me to put it in there, just wait a minute because we likely will address it as Paul unpacks this a little more in the verses that follow. But you see, prophecy should be pursued over tongues for the way in which it serves the body. 
That's what Paul's point is making here. Prophecy is greater because it builds up the whole body. It speaks in understandable words to communicate a clear message in order to build people up. Think with me, if you will, with Paul's illustration that he uses about an instrument and how helpful it can be. Because it can sound forth a sound, and if people understand what that sound means, then they know it's a call to action or it's a remembrance of some. But they must know what it is that the sound means. Imagine, though, if with the trumpet sound, they began to play taps before charging the battlefield. That's kind of a killer on the old spirit, right? Okay, men, today we're going to take this hill. Give us a little something from the bugle to get us there. You know, what's he saying? I mean, he doesn't have any courage in us, does he? Or what if after that battle, which is inevitable if you started with taps, you're gathered around the cemetery plot, and all of a sudden... The bugler starts on reveling. Are they just going to rise up out of the grave? You know, I mean, you're confusing people. That's what Paul is saying here. Let me give some understanding here. Tongues without interpretation is a personal prayer between the individual and God. And Paul is arguing It's for the private edification of the believer. He does not say that it should not be done. He says it's not priority and primary in the public gathering. But he will say, has, and will go on to explain, that tongues with interpretation is equal to New Testament prophecy. Did you catch that? It can edify... And it can encourage the whole. But even this, he will tell us, should be limited in its extent of use because it still will tend towards confusion and it always holds the air of individual-centric manifestations. And his point is not to say that it's useless, that tongues are useless, or that prophecy is the only purpose that can be fulfilled through. But rather, he's saying that he said all throughout the last three chapters, the greater gifts and the greater use of gifts always receives priority to benefit the recipient of them, not the one manifesting or expressing the gift. And that's important for us here, friends. Prophecy is greater because it builds up The whole church. Prophecy is greater because it builds up the whole church. And so that's the first benefit. The second benefit I want you to see begins in verse 13. And it's simply this. That prophecy's clear message addresses the whole person. The whole person. Look at verse 13 with me. And we'll read from there. Therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, 
If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The second benefit that we see here is this, that prophecy's clear message addresses the whole person. You see, tongues require specific guidelines for manifestation in public worship. They require interpretation because alone they only express the spirit but not the mind. And the Bible tells us in John 4, in Jesus' words himself, that Christians worship in spirit and in truth because God engages the mind and the spirit. And if we have one without the other, it's incomplete. And that's where Paul is arguing from today. I would even interpret this and apply it in, in, in music as, as Paul goes here to say this, that music alone without lyrics is insufficient for Christian worship. It's insufficient. Now, I'm not saying that uh, when we underscore and aren't explicitly singing words with the underscoring of the music or even the playing of music, I'm not saying that's wrong and that it should never be a part of the worship. I'm saying music alone without ever having Christian lyrics with it would be wrong for us to do. So we can come up, and I mean not we, some of us could come up and play Amazing Grace on the piano, right? And we might not be singing the lyrics at that moment. But because we've sung those lyrics, and I would, I would estimate that some of you were doing that in that last song that we just learned. You wanted to start doing this when you heard the melody. And you oh, wait a minute, this is church. We're singing different lyrics, right? Do a little work on that melody and you'll find that it wasn't just Auld Lang Syne. But the point being this, because we worship in spirit and truth, we engage the spirit and the mind when we have complete worship in the church. And that's Paul's argument here. You see, we listen with a clear gospel message, and that's what is necessary for Christian worship. That's why sing, you hear me? Sing is the clear biblical command, not just play, not just listen, or not just sway. Listen to me, friends. You can walk away from a Sunday morning worship being predominantly zoned out, but liking the rhythm of everything that took place and not taking in the message of the words that were spoken or sung or read over you and feel good about that service and it have no lasting benefit for your life. Why? Because if you get in here and you don't engage your mind, you've entertained an incomplete worship. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. When prayer is indistinguishable, it serves no good, no matter how earnest. It doesn't matter how passionate you are, it doesn't matter how sincere you are, it doesn't matter how earnest you are. If you remain ignorant, it's all for naught. That's what Paul is saying to us here. Christian worship should include unction and understanding. 
the spirit and the mind. And he says this, I would rather have fewer words with spiritual punch, bam, than fevered words displayed in passion. Paul's not scolding or diminishing those who speak in tongues or even the speaking of tongues. He validates their importance, but he instructs in their proper use for public worship. And what he's saying is simply that Christian worship engages the spirit and the mind to provide a clear gospel proclamation so anyone who hears can glorify God in that worship. That's what he's telling us. Let's go to the third benefit. Benefit number three begins in verse 20. It's simply this, that prophecy addresses the whole to accomplish God's purposes. So the first benefit is that prophecy clarifies the message. The second benefit is that prophecy's clear message benefits the whole congregation. And the third is that prophecy addresses the whole body to accomplish God's purposes. Look at verse 20. I've told you, we have an agenda when we get together. And we never should gather when we don't have an agenda. As the church, anyway. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. But in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written by people of strange tongues. And by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among us. Here's the third benefit. Prophecy addresses the whole body, everyone in the place, to accomplish God's purpose. You see, the whole of the Christian life is about maturing in Jesus and, and nothing is really more pathetic than a Christian who just never grows up, who absolutely refuses to mature. And here's how you can typically find them. They've learned enough grace to know that they can always cry grace over their sin, but they haven't learned the true essence of grace that leads them to walk in God's righteousness. And so if they're always going, man, man, I'm just, man, I'm a, I'm a pathetic individual. But God's grace is sufficient. I don't see where God saved you to make you pathetic. He may have saved you out of that. But the Bible tells us He rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us to the kingdom of the light of His eternal Son. You see, grace doesn't just get you out of sin's mess. It leads you to walk in righteousness. And I wouldn't put a time frame on any of that because that would be counter-biblical and beyond biblical to do that. But what I'm telling you is, is that if you only know God's grace to get you out of the consequences or the damning results of your sin, and you've not learned the grace of God to be the power to walk in His sustaining strength to obey in righteousness, listen, friends, 
there's so much more for you. And that's what Paul's wanting to, to press us into with prophecy. You see, naivety of evil should be a high value for Christians, and Christian doctrine becomes the substance of nurturing strength for us. But we've reversed these Christian values and priorities in our day today because we've accepted the naivety of Christian doctrine as just normal, and we've valued and celebrated the intimate knowledge of worldliness and evil and walking in that way as well, I guess just acceptable because grace just forgives all sin. You see, grace that forgives all sin that doesn't lead to walk in righteousness is not a radical grace. It's a refined grace. It serves personal propensities and tendencies. It applies Jesus for our purposes instead of surrendering our life to his purposes. And that's how we pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. One commentator said the Corinthians were so amused by speaking in tongues that they become uninterested in maturing any further. And before we're too quick to point our finger at the Corinthians and go those poor pathetic people. How many of us have become so satisfied with where we are in our Christian walk or with whatever gift that we might could say, okay, I'll claim this one and, and I'm okay with it. Or even to relish a gift so much that we go, God, I don't want any more. Don't get me out of this. Don't call me to a new place to serve with this gift. Rather, we begin to coddle our propensity to love the gift and we sub, uh, substitute it for the giver himself to say, God, I don't want to follow you with this gift. I've got all that I want from you. I'll let you know when I need you again. That's what the Corinthians were doing specifically with tongues. That's the whole reason Paul brings up tongues in this chapter. It's not, well, that's an important issue. We need to bring some clarity to that. It is that, and we do need that. But the problem is, they were putting forth their tongues and going, we, we really don't have a lot more need for Jesus. Look how well we've gotten at this. And you can put any gift to substitute for tongues and we do the same thing today. And what he's saying is that we can't do that. We can't substitute the gift for the gifter. You see, what doctrine does for us is it engages our mind with the inspiration of our spirit. And it gives us the why of our faith. And listen, friends, if you can't articulate the why, can you really know the what that is holding you? That you claim? I'm not saying everyone needs to be uh, the, the, the astute uh, author of all theology. But friends, if an issue comes up in your life and you find yourself asking of God the why questions. Why me? Why this? Why now? Why what? I mean, all the questions that come up. Listen, that's not an opportunity for us to check out and blame God. It's an invitation for us to enter more deeply into the mental and intellectual engagement of what God wants to reveal to us in his nature and in his character and in the growth of our very own. God wants to reveal himself in ever-increasing ways and ever-deepening understandings so we see that it really isn't us holding on to him. It's him holding us through all of life. 
And that's what prophecy does for us. It makes clear and it makes plain the most confounding of all of biblical truths with the simplest of clarity so we can know, I get that, God, and in that I know you're holding me. I remember the day I was sitting in the office of, of who I would consider one of the greatest professors that I ever studied under in seminary, and he simply said this. He said, how do you know that God loves you? And I was like, man, I mean, I was flipping through the pages of all the notes I'd ever taken in seminary going, oh, I got I to gotta impress this man with this one. This is an impressive man. I need to impress him with my answer. That's usually the on-ramp to the height of stupidity. That, that's usually what comes out of that initial thought. And so instead of, instead of proving that I was a fool, I kept my mouth shut to leave a little question that there might be some because there were some smart guys in the room too. I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't want to look dumber than them. A couple of offered answers were given. And then he simply said, you know what I believe it is? He said, here's how I know that God loves us. He said, I learned it in preschool. Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, the Bible tells me so. I wasn't anywhere near that answer. Just simplicity and clarity. But transforming profoundness in what was said. Christians that hold little value for doctrine will always be dominated by freak show spirituality to command their attention and rule the entertainment of worship. They'll have to. Moving from one height to the next. What Paul does is he cites the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 28 to make a point and then he provides some illustration for it. And quite frankly, these aren't the easiest of verses throughout this chapter. We'll get to a hard one in a minute as well. But he's simply saying this, that unbelievers who hear tongues cannot understand. Cannot understand. And, and, and my experience has been a lot of believers who hear them can't understand either, but they go, well, I don't think I'm supposed to say anything. I'm just going to be quiet. And he says this, that tongues are a sign of judgment for unbelievers. Why? Because they can't understand them. They're spiritually discerned. Jesus goes on to say that's the whole reason he taught in parables. Because the Spirit brings discernment and application. And so they're a sign. A sign. But prophecy becomes a sign of judgment for believers because it discerns God's will for His people. You see, prophecy may not always be favorable to God's people, but it is always favorable for them. And that's important for us to remember. Christians may not always like what they hear God say, but prophecy makes sure they can understand what He is saying, and unbelievers can also understand it and be brought into worshipful faith as well. That's where Paul drives this nail home. Prophecy makes clear God's message to believer and unbeliever in order to bring them into the fold of God by faith and to build them up. See, Christianity is not a spiritual scavenger hunt where we search and seek and look for, God, or for clues to move to the next step. Rather, they're a sign to demonstrate God's power at times, but, but they never are necessarily 
to, to given explicitly to obey God's commands. Rather, God sometimes uses signs to demonstrate His power for special purposes. We could walk through the, the Bible from beginning to end and we could talk about those times when God gave a sign for a specific purpose for his, demonstrating His power to bring convincing or catalyzing uh, uh, introduction to people. But God's primary means of revelation for mission in the world is just simple, clear, straightforward proclamation of His Word. And what the Corinthians were doing, and what we do too, is they were finding a lot of flair and the flamboyant and giving it a lot more favor than just the simple, clear proclamation of God's Word. You see, prophecy provides a clear gospel message of God's truth for the whole person. You ever had a moment when a sermon hits right between the eyes? Don't answer that out loud, okay? I, my ego may not be able to handle it right now. This is not due to the speaker's expertise or excellence. It is due to the pervasive work of the Holy Spirit, where God commands the mind and compels the heart to instantaneously bring, bring transformation by faith. He meets people where they are and he leads them to where he is. That's clear proclamation. That's New Testament prophecy. Prophecy also provides a clear gospel message of God's truth for the whole church. I, I've seen sermons where one sermon can, can speak to every person in a myriad of life situations all in the same message and so at the end of that message one lady professes faith in Jesus to become a Christian another man repents of an affair and re returns to love his wife and in that same message a young adult surrenders to vocational ministry or to full-time mission work you go how can all of that come out of one sermon because it is the pervasive work of the Spirit of God through the faithful proclamation of true speech, the prophecy, the good, right, and hopeful word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And prophecy also provides a clear gospel message of truth for God's whole purpose. It's like when one sermon addresses one topic but speaks completely to a completely different life issue in a person. And this will happen. Any preacher would say this that's preached for any amount of time. They, man, they'll beat the pulpit and kick it a few times and just get wound up and preach, preach, preach. And someone will come up afterwards and go, oh, pastor, today you spoke to me. You're going, I'm glad. You know, I, I tried really hard. And when you said, da-da-da-da-da, and they go, yeah, that's exactly the way I said it. God said, to da 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 and that didn't have anything to do with this in your minds or in your notes or in your intention. And you go, what? how did God say that out of that? You know, and you realize, it ain't about you. It's not about you. But in humility in that moment, you realize God would still use a worm like me, a wretch, redeemed for his purposes. You see, God provides a clear gospel message for his whole purpose. What about when one testimony addresses one topic, but someone responds to the Lord by faith because the Spirit of God gave them unction and understanding to see that even though the same struggle they have in life was not identical to this person, that the issue they face 
is, is granted by the same sufficient faith in Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose of God. The faithful, clear proclamation of God's word and the profession of faith in Jesus empowers all God's people and all of his purposes in any sermon, in any testimony. Why? Because it's true speech. And when true speech is made, the Spirit is able to work. Prophecy provides a clear communication of God's message to all hearers that builds up the church for God's purpose. Here's the fourth benefit. Beginning in verse 26, prophecy orders public worship to build up the body. Go with me to verse 26. I'm just going to read a few verses. I'm going to skip over the hard ones. Just kidding. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. There's his guiding principle. You see, prophecy orders public worship to build up the body And prophecy orders worship by demonstrating that many have value in the public gathering, not just one. And what it does is it removes people from and places God's word at the center of that public worship so that God's spirit can use that word in people's lives. Now, if we continue from here, it does get into some, shall we say, difficult verses that have been grossly misunderstood and I want to read them and I'm going to make a couple of comments because I don't want to be accused of passing over them and I think they're important. Verse 33, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues But all things should be done decently and in order. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand what he's not saying so we can understand what he is saying. What he's not saying first. He's not telling women to shut up, but he probably is telling some they need to be more quiet. If you look back in the whole context of 1 Corinthians, this is an issue that he's dealt with throughout the book. Not because of the gender of femininity or the female but because of specific people in the church and what he's doing is he's encouraging all of them to maintain a spirit of humility and order of decency in the public gathering and while this passage recognizably is not totally clear 
So in other words, the theologians disagree on exactly this or that. It doesn't shape significant doctrine or practice or anything of that. But I do believe we need to give Paul the benefit of the doubt because of what he says holistically when we apply it in a passage like this. He's not a misogynist. He's not anti-woman or anything of the like. And instead of calling each of the troublemakers by name in the congregation, he's hoping to quiet them by encouraging them to respect the whole congregation. You see, this is not about who can or cannot speak in the church as much as what they are trying to do in the Corinthian church when they are speaking. That's the whole issue that Paul's dealt with throughout this book. And that's the issue that he's drawing the application to even here. Christian worship demands respectfulness and orderliness for the benefit of all to hear the gospel. That's what Paul is arguing for. And finally, prophecy does not forbid tongues. It simply provides a greater benefit for the whole and accomplishes the purpose of public worship better than tongues do. Because prophecy speaks the truth of God's word to place Jesus at the center of the church's speech. You see, Jesus Christ centers all true speech in the church for the growth and the maturity of the whole body. All right, one principle to apply, and here's what I want you to I put this on the screen so that you can read it with me. It's kind of long. How do we apply this? Here's the principle. Our speech in the church should be true to God's word through the gospel of Jesus Christ in the ongoing conversation of the church in all gatherings, at all times, and among the whole body in order to accomplish God's purpose for the church. True speech. So the body can be built up. That's what he's aiming at here. Words that build up everyone are better than words that build up only one. And every time we gather, this should be the aim of our heart and of our mind and the purpose of our gathering is to build all up who are among us in the likeness, in the growth and the maturity of Jesus Christ. As the worship team returns, I want to read this simple prayer for you. Let the prayer of every Christian for gathered worship simply be this. Lord, let the words of my mouth, like the meditations of my heart, be pleasing to you and helpful and encouraging to others. Gift me in greater measure that I might serve for the benefit and for the blessing of all. May each person be strengthened and encouraged to grow and to mature because we served one another in Jesus' name today. Jesus Christ centers all true speech in the church for the growth and the maturity of the whole body. What's come out of your mouth today? When you walked in the door, when you went to your assignment, your position, did you speak in such a way that those who would hear you and be influenced by those words might be blessed, might be encouraged, might be built up, might receive hope, 
might see some truth. I don't know, friends. I mean, you got from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21 to figure out what God wants you to say and how God can help you apply it. Did you give any consideration today, not just about what you would receive from this day, but what you would offer to it with your words? True speech. It's not about what one person says. It's not about what one small conglomeration of people say. It's about what the church says. You are the church, the body of Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you that because of Jesus, every person in the room is here to build up, to encourage, and to help strengthen every person in the room. Help us to live in light of this truth. Help us to worship you in light of this truth. Help us to give you all honor and glory because of what you are doing in this church. In Jesus' name.